Luke chapter 15. We've got um, quite a bit going on at the end of the sermon with uh, a couple of families joining and a couple of people getting baptized. And so I'm going to try to get through the message as quickly as I can um, this morning and, and uh, not, not linger, uh, but uh, do have a very important topic I'd like to look at this morning, preach at with you. We're going to be in verse 11. We're going to read down through verse 20. So once you've found your place, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. And as our custom here at White Oak Baptist, we will read this passage responsibly on a Sunday morning. And so we'll be reading together the even verses. I'll begin in verse 11. We'll read from verse 11 down through verse number 20. The Bible says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. Verse 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, What to Do with the Wayward. What to Do with the Wayward. Let's pray. Lord, today as we look at this truth in this passage, I pray, God, that you'd give me great discernment and great wisdom, Lord, as I preach. Lord, may I not take liberties uh, to say things that aren't truly in line with your passage and with your word. Lord, I know as I sat in a hotel room just earlier this week, working and putting this message together. And Lord, it was very evident and obvious to me that this is what you needed or you wanted to preach today to your people. And Lord, even since the putting of that message together, more situations have been brought to my mind of wayward uh, family members and loved ones who are running from you. And Lord, parents and siblings and uh, loved ones who don't really know what to do with that wayward. And so God, I pray you'd help us to understand that today. Help us, Lord, to embrace your way, even if it isn't in line with our thinking. Lord, may we delete our thoughts and, Lord, engraft in your thoughts. May we have your mind on this topic. Help us today, Lord. No doubt there are those here that don't need this sermon this morning. But, Lord, they may need it down the road. And so may we all be attentive as your word is preached. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jesus was the master at using illustrations to get his point across. Illustrations have been defined as a window that sheds light on a subject. Window that sheds light on a subject. I like how someone illustrated the word illustration. Amen? Uh, But uh, window that sheds light on a subject. And you ever been sitting there and the preacher's preaching away and you're thinking about the groceries you got to buy or the the roast that's in the pot and you're thinking about what you got got to get accomplished on the to-do list and, and you you know, the pastor's preaching and you're not really paying attention. None of you would do that, would you? You all, you're always hanging on every word, I bet, right? 
No, that happens to everyone sometimes. Sometimes I'm not even paying attention while I'm preaching. And I, I, but the preacher starts using an illustration and you, you snap right back in. You're right back into what's being said. And illustrations, what they do is it takes the truth and it gives it to us in a way in which we can relate. And Jesus was the master at using illustrations to get his point across. And uh, in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, rather than Jesus uses uh, an illustration, they're called parables. Parables. Now, this parable of uh, the prodigal son might be the most preached on parable of all the parables that Jesus gave. Uh, this is a parable that's been preached on many times to teenagers. It's a parable that is preached on uh, probably weekly in Christian rescue missions to wayward men who've chosen a hard life. And uh, those are wonderful environments to get preached on. But I want to kind of look at the passage today and pull some things out to help those of you here who have a wayward loved one, whether that's a spouse or a sibling or uh, a parent or a child, or maybe you work with a child at church over many years and that child or that loved one, uh, that, 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 that person you are mentoring has chose to go off another direction. And I want to help you to know what the Bible says you're to do, how you are to handle this person. Now, I said this in the 830 service, I think it bears repeating here, is that uh, there are times where I will make up a story or I will give an illustration on the fly, and not everything I say perfectly fits perfectly or is doctrinally accurate. Uh, there might be one greater point I'm trying to pull out, but the great thing about Jesus telling stories is that they were all, to the finest detail, doctrinally accurate. Every part of it was doctrinally accurate. So, if in this story, Jesus says that something was done that was good, then that is a righteous action. Amen? Can we agree with that? Amen? And so, we're going to look at today how this father handled his son that chose to go off the wrong direction. What does the wayward wayward mean? That's not a word that's used too commonly or too often. It fits uh, well with uh, what I'm talking about today. But the word wayward, uh, you ever had a child ask you what a word means? And you know what it means, but you struggle to, you know, give a Merriam-Webster's type definition. And so that might be one of those words for you. I said, what is someone that's wayward? Maybe you could describe it, but really have a hard time defining. Let me define it for you here. Wayward means turned or turning away from what is right or proper. Wayward means willfully disobedient. Willfully disobedient. Someone who is wayward, they have been taught what's right. And they are choosing on purpose to go away from what's right. They're making a conscious choice to go away from what they were taught. I wonder how many of you in here today are hurting because you have a loved one who is wayward. Wayward. Looking around the room and knowing what I know about many of you in here, I would guess that at least half of the crowd, under the sound of my voice, uh, between this service and the 830 service, there is a loved one in your life Someone you care deeply about who is wayward. Where does that wayward heart, what really is that? A wayward heart is a rebellious heart. It's a rebellious heart. And I found this definition for rebellion in preparation for the message today. And boy, it's one of those definitions that just, just smacks you across the face. You sit there and go, wow, that, that's 
exactly it. That's exactly it. It just has a, ring, a true ring to it. If you're taking notes, and I encourage everyone to take notes, write this definition for rebellion down and go back and review this. There's really more here than can be taken in in, in a quick uh, a moment. Re, a rebellion is reserving for myself the right to make the final decision. Reserving for myself the right to make the final decision. You're living in rebellion to your parents, teenager, child. You're living in rebellion to your parents, what's that mean? That means I know my parents have a set of rules. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do it my way. I don't care about your way. I'm going to do it my way. How about God? I'm at a place in my life where I really don't per se answer to anyone. I'm the husband of my wife. I'm the pastor of the church. I, I am the leader in every area of my life. But that doesn't mean that I don't answer to anyone. I answer to God. I answer to God. Guess what? I can't live in rebellion to God. I've got to live under His authority. And if I, my flesh wants to do something, and the Bible says something else, I've got to acquiesce. I've got to come under. I've got to follow His leadership. If I don't, I'm living in rebellion. Rebellion. Someone who is wayward is someone who is living in a state of rebellion. Some of you parents have worked hard to teach your children the structure of obedience. You have held high authority. You have taught your child the difference between right and wrong. You have showed them that God's Word is the final authority and your child has chosen to live contrary to everything that you've told them to do that's right. They're rebellious. They're, they're wayward. The question of the message this morning is, how do you handle them? The message isn't meant for the wayward. If you're here today and you're wayward, get your heart right with God. Quit rebelling. Come back to the Lord before He has to really uh, punish you in a strong, hard way as He did the prodigal son we'll look at here in a minute. The sermon's not meant for that. them. The sermon this morning is meant for those of you here today that have a wayward loved one. How are you to handle them? Well, this morning, let me say that at, at all my time being a pastor, both a senior pastor and assistant pastor, all my years being a young man growing up in church and watching people uh, uh, give a structure of right and wrong and, and watching people rebel from it and, and how all that's handled, I have concluded that most people, not everyone, most people handle wayward folks one of two ways. Here they are. Either, one, they expel them out of their lives and totally disown them until they change. How many of you have seen that approach before? I don't have anything to do with you. Get out of here. Don't call me. Don't text me. Don't talk to me. I don't even know who you are until you're willing to come back and live under my guidelines for your life. I've seen plenty of people pull that. The other thing I see are people that enable. They enable them by continuing to allow themselves to be manipulated. They allow themselves to continue to be manipulated by the person who's the wayward. They keep allowing them a place to feed themselves and a bed to sleep in. And they continue to give them everything they need. And as long as they have what they need, they're never going to change. And God cannot properly punish them. And if you're here today and you have chosen one of those two paths, I promise you the point of the message is not to pick on you. It's not to belittle you. It's not to put you down. Why don't we take what God says that this father did with his prodigal and see if we can't emulate that. We can't understand it. We can't use that. This morning I believe that God has a solution for every single difficult situation in our lives. 
How many of you believe that God has a solution for every single difficult situation? The thing I love about the Bible is that it will never be outdated. Society changes, culture changes, the Bible's still applicable. You say, well, the things my wayward struggles with weren't around when the Bible was written. It doesn't matter. The Bible still applies even to them today. God wants you to get out of His way so God can rebel, or God can punish the rebellious. God can work in the heart of the rebellious one. You say, Pastor, there is a wayward in my life that I love dearly. What can I do to help that person? What I want to do this morning is run through seven truths out of this parable of Christ that will help us understand much better what to do with the wayward. Number one of the message this morning is this, the wayward's disinterest. The wayward's disinterest. Look down with me at Luke chapter 15 and look at verse number 12. The Bible says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father... Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now, out of this uh, uh, passage, out of this verse, this portion of the verse, I see several things about this young man's attitude that he had. He had an attitude of disinterest. The first thing that tells me this young man had an attitude of disinterest was that he was entitled. He was entitled. Uh, uh, he said there, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He said, Dad, I want your inheritance and I want it now. I want it now. I am entitled. Now, i got to say that if my child came to me and said, give me your money that I'm going to get when you die and give it to me now, I'd look at him and say, I don't have any money. <laughs> That's what I would say. Uh, that would be the first thing I'd say. But if I had money, I'd look at him and say, you can wait till I'm cold and in the grave and then you can have my money. That was this boy's attitude. He said, I want it now. Don't we live in an entitled society? An entitled society? I was talking to a guy, and, uh, and I said, I didn't know you had a phone. I thought, I thought you, you, know, you couldn't afford a phone. He said, oh, well, the government gave me one. Just entitled. Entitled. It's a well-bodied, well-capable working man, and your tax dollars put a phone in his hand. Amen? Doesn't it make you feel good? Amen. Don't hate the people. You can dislike the system, but don't hate the people. This young man was entitled. He had no interest in doing things his parents' way. He wanted his money, and he wanted it now. Sin is right done at the wrong time. Sin is right done with the wrong people. Sin is right done with the wrong motive. Sin is right done in the wrong place. Sin is right done with the wrong attitude. And in this young man's instance, he wanted his money now. He was, he was wanting something that was his, but it wasn't his yet. But he wanted it now. The wayward's disinterest. Well, the, the, the second thing I jotted down here in my notes below this point was that he was in love with money. He was in love with money. Look at there. It says, And the younger of them said to his father, verse 12, Father, give me the portion of goods. Give me the portion of goods. Isn't it funny what people will do to get their hands on money? People love money. The Bible says money is the root of all evil. Is that what it says? No, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. And this young man loved money. He loved what money could give him. He loved the power that money could uh, give him. The buying power and all the things that would come with it. The third thing I jotted down here below, uh, point number one here, was he was disinterested in being like his father. He wanted nothing to do with his father. What would this money that he would get do for him? This money that he would get would allow him to show his dad they didn't want to have anything to do with him or he didn't want to be anything like him. As a dad myself with a little boy, I want my son to grow up 
and embrace my good characteristics and reject the bad ones. I think every dad wants that of their children. Must break a father's heart when a child grows up and wants to have nothing to do with the good in his life. Nothing to do with it. This young man said, Dad, I've seen your style of life. I've seen your system. No thanks. You can keep it. You can keep it. You know, being growing up at a Christian school, growing up at a Christian home, uh, seeing teenagers who were living uh, rebellious and with defiled hearts, uh, oftentimes I watched as they were being held in orbit out of force. They, uh, they came to church. They were orbiting around what was right. They came to church because they were made to come to church. 16, 17 years old, sitting on the back pew, chewing their gum, smacking their gum, got their arms crossed, passing notes around in church. They were in church. They were, they were, they were orbiting around what was right. They didn't want to be there. Oh, they, they, uh, they followed the rules at home because they were going to lose things if they didn't, lose privileges if they didn't, but they did it with the wrong attitude. And the, the direction of the rocket of their life was facing the wrong direction. And as soon as they turned 18 and they were able to get out of the house, they lit those rockets up and wham, they shot out of orbit in the wrong direction. That was where this young man was. He had no interest in being like dad. Number one, this morning we see the waywards, the centrists. You may have a loved one in your life who is 17, 18, 19, in their 20s or 30s or maybe even older, and uh, they used to do what was right, now they don't want to have anything to do with it. You say, Pastor, it's breaking my heart. They're disinterested in what I know is good for them. That's where this father found his son. Number two, we see the father's decision. The father's decision. Look down with me back at verse number 12. The Bible says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him them his living. Now, as I said earlier, I would have looked at my son and said, you can wait till I'm cold in the grave for you get my money. But that's not what this dad did. No, this father, uh, he went ahead and he divided his money and he gave half of it to this younger son. He said, okay, here's half of all of my possessions, half of what I'm worth. It's yours. Go out and do what you want with it. This father had no doubt had spent years had spent years trying to drive the rebellion away from the heart of his son, and it just wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. He reached a point with his child where he decided, I'm just going to have to let him go. I'm just going to have to let him go. The only solution that this dad could see for his boy was to let him sow his wild oats. So he said, okay. I have tried punishing you. I have tried grounding you. I've tried spanking you. I've tried taking things away from you. I have tried incentivizing right. I've tried making wrong hurt. You're stubborn. You're rebellious. You're wayward. You don't want to be here anymore. Here's your money. See you. The father made a very hard decision. mistake I see many parents make is that they try to ramrod right down their adult children's hearts, into their hearts. Mom and Dad, I know you want them to do right. But God's going to have to reach their heart. You're going to have to step out of the way. They're not six anymore. They're not six anymore. They're going to have to figure it out on their own. Number three, we see the wayward's departure. Look down with me at uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 13. 
The Bible says, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Look at that. Took his journey into a far country. He didn't move next door. He didn't move across town. He didn't move across the state. He didn't even move to the other side of the country. He moved to a completely different country Way, 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 way from his parents. And I wrote this word down in my notes. And listen, if you've got a wayward loved one, I would really encourage you to take copious notes today. I really would. And if you're taking notes, write this word down. Write down the word distance. Distance. You know what this boy wanted? He wanted distance from his parents. He, it wasn't good enough to occasionally see him in Walmart. No, no, no. He wanted to put himself in a spot where he would never run into his parents. He wanted to go put himself in a spot where he would not only would he not ruin his parents, but his circle of life would not touch the circle of life of his parents. He wanted to have nothing to do with them. Distance. Now, we live in a, a day and age where the world's a lot smaller. The planet hasn't shrunk, but transportation's got a lot better, hasn't it? I, I find it amazing that last Sunday I stood here and preached. And then I drove all the way across the country, or halfway across the country and back, and I'm standing here again today preaching. You know, if you wanted to go to Indiana before cars, you wouldn't be seeing your pastor for several months. I'll be horseback, right? Horseback and walking and, 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 and maybe a, a, a carriage. Transportation has made the world smaller. You can't, your child that's rebelling, that loved one of yours that is wayward, they can't just hop on a plane and or they can't just take off because you can always hop on a plane and catch up to them. Not only is the world shrunk in terms of transportation, it's also shrunk in terms of communication. And I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me. Now, if you want to get hold of someone, you send them a text. You call them. My, uh, my mother-in-law lives in Peru. That's a very good place for her to live, amen? It's a long ways from here. I love my mom-in-law at a distance, Amen. No, I love my mom. I love when she's around. We have a good time together. Um, you know, my, my children talk to their grandmother face-to-face every single day. Even though she lives in Peru. You're really anymore... This young man took his journey into a far country. You really anymore can't get away from people that love you. Because of the technological advancements. But the word distance in the heart of a wayward is still applicable. You ever send a text message to that child or that loved one that's wayward and they just ignored it? That ever happened to you? They're just trying to live in a far country. Voicemail after voicemail after voicemail. No return call. They're just taking their journey into a far country. You see him and they act cold. Trust me, if they lived in Bible times and they followed this young man's example, you wouldn't even see him at all. But they can't get away from you. They can't get away from you. This man left. You know what his parents did? They let him go. They let him go. Some of the best advice I can give to you today is this. Let the wayward, go. Just let them go. You say, but pastor, if I'm not there for them, they may kill themselves. That I would say, God loves that person more than you do. 
I think oftentimes God cannot chasten His child because we are getting in the way. We're getting in the way. There are times where my children need to be punished. I grew up in a home where I was spanked. Very cold, very methodical. No bruises were left. Tears were drawn and that was about the beginning and end of it. My wife was not raised in a home like that. Now, my wife intellectually understands and agrees with the importance of spanking. There are times where I need to go in and spank one of my children, and she tries to get between me and the child. No, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Her heart of compassion gets in the way. How many of you moms here ever struggle with that? Anybody? You're not willing to admit it. I just threw my wife under the bus. Amen. (laughs) She's not capable of getting in my way. She tries. But she does eventually back down. She knows she knows her, her intellect trumps her emotion. I think sometimes we're like Angela with God. We're getting between God and that wayward child. And we're making every excuse in the world why. This son said, okay, here's your, this father said rather, here's your son. Here's your money, son. Go ahead. Get out of here. Go sow your wild oats. Go do your thing. Go see what your version of life turns out to be. And I think the only reason why that father was able to do that was because he trusted, he trusted God. He trusted God. The best advice I can give you today is don't chase the wayward. Don't berate the wayward. Pastor, what should I do? Turn that rebellious, wayward loved one of yours over to God And let him break the rebellion away from their heart. I will say this morning, I don't like words being thrown back in my face, and so please listen carefully. If God can't break the rebellion away, it can't be broken away. You say, Pastor, are there people out there that will not allow God to break the rebellion away? Yes. Yes. And the end of their own consequences often is death. It's death. But if that loved one of yours is saved, they'll be a whole lot better in heaven free from their sin than they would be on earth struggling with sin. Number one, we see the wayward's disinterest. Number two, the father's decision. Number three, the wayward's departure. Number four, notice the wayward's delights. The wayward's delights. Look down with me at Luke chapter 15 and verse 13. The Bible says in... Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Notice this. And there wasted, he wasted his substance with riotous living. He wasted his substance with riotous living. Isn't it funny that this money was not his, or rather was not earned by him, so he just didn't value it. It wasn't important to him. How many of you have learned that you don't really value something unless you earned it through blood, sweat, and tears? How many of you understand that? When I was a boy, uh, my, uh, we'd go visit my grandmother who's a pretty well-to-do person. We were poor, but she was well-to-do. And when we'd go visit her, she'd pile us all in the car, she'd take us over to the outlets, and she'd buy us all the highest, most exp- any pair of shoes we wanted. 
And I learned later that she took us in the store that didn't have the $100 plus shoes. You know, they were $60, $70 of a pair. But, you know, she was buying them for six, seven, eight grandkids. And we get whatever shoes we want. You know what? I didn't care about those shoes. I, I liked the fact that they lit up and I liked the fact that they had a swoosh sign on them and all those things. And, and I'd run around and play with them. And, and I think that was back in the day when LA Air was a big deal. I, I ran around in those shoes, had a good time. And, but I didn't value them. There was a day where I joined a basketball team and all the guys on the team wanted to buy this like $130 shoe. And I went to my dad and I said, I gotta have a shoe. And he said, Richard, we can't afford the shoe. And I said, but I gotta have it. He said, I don't have the money to buy you that shoe. I said, but dad, you're not hearing me. All the guys on the team have the shoe. They're the same color. They're the same brand. If I go out there and I have my nasty old white shoes on and they're all wearing blue shoes, I'm already made fun of. It's gonna be worse. And my dad said, Richard, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have the money. I can't buy you something that I don't have the money to buy. He said, but I'll tell you what you can do. In the back, there's a lawnmower. You can go around the neighborhood and you can cut lawns. You can take the money and buy your own shoes. And so sure enough, I went around and after several weeks of cutting people's lawns and getting people to let me cut their lawns, I earned enough money and I walked into that shoe store and I bought myself a pair of blue Nike basketball shoes. And you know what? I valued those shoes. For the first time in my life, I valued a pair of shoes. This young man didn't value his dad's money. There must have been a lot of it. Because he wasted it, the Bible says, on riotous living. What kind of stuff did he waste it on? Well, this is a parable, so most likely it's a made-up story. And so, uh, it, 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 it's a fiction story, but in the sense of it being a fiction story, we'll, we'll add to it a little bit here. Maybe alcohol, I'd guess. Riotous living, that would be a riotous lifestyle. Drinking himself drunk, walking into a bar and saying, alright, open tap. I got everybody, drink away. Maybe he would have wasted it on drugs. Maybe he would have wasted it on uh, all kinds of uh, uh, furniture and big houses and elaborate uh, dinners. Uh, uh, no doubt he would have had all kinds of fake and phony friends who just wanted to get in on his money. You ever see these stories of someone who hits the lottery and they win it big? $230 million! And then you see them on some documentary years later and they... Wasted it all in a matter of just a few years. You ever stop and scratch your head and say, how can you spend $230 million? I guess it's doable because people do it all the time and they end up bankrupt. This young man didn't earn it. He didn't know how to value it and he wasted it. He wasted it. What word can you circle in this passage that defines a wayward person? It's the word wasted. They are wasting away their life. Look down at verse 30. Here you have a conversation between the older son who had stayed home talking to his dad. It says, But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. It wasn't just alcohol. It wasn't just drugs. It wasn't just elaborate dinners and big houses and fancy furniture. He was using this money to pick up women of the night and to, and to, and to spend time being a very sensual, lascivious person. You say, Pastor, did he have fun? Yep. He sure did. He had a blast. Hebrews 11.25 says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, speaking of Moses, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I'm here to tell you right now that sin 
is a blast. It's a blast. Now, I've not done many of the things that I'm going uh, 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 to share with you here. But I've watched people do it. I've watched people do it on TV. I've watched uh, people do it in person. Uh, I've seen this style of living up close and personal uh, with people that I know. Uh, uh, I can tell you right now that people who go out drinking with their buddies, they have fun. They have a blast. I can tell you right now that people who live the party life, man, they have a great time. It's fun for them. I'm here to tell you right now that doing drugs, man, for people, they get a joy out of doing drugs. They shoot up. They smoke that, that, that joint. They, they uh, sniff that line. And what do they get? They get a euphoria. They get a high. You know what? Sitting around with a group of people and belittling authority, I've done that one. I'm not proud of it, but I have. That's fun. It's fun to make fun of authority. It's fun to put them down. Running around and being lascivious with guys or girls, depending on your gender. That's fun. That's fun. There are people who get an adrenaline rush from going to a bar and trying to pick up one more girl. They have a good time doing it. This young man, this young man enjoyed his sin. He wasted his living. He rather wasted uh, his money with riotous living. But we see number five that while sin is fun, sin is, has its pain. Number five, we see the wayward's destruction. The wayward's destruction. Look back down with me at verse number 14. Look there, the Bible says, and when he had... Can we read the next two words out loud together? You ready? And when he had... Spent all. Again, ready? And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to, next two words, or rather, he began to be, next two words, in want. Ready? In want. He spent all, he was in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Now, let me just pause before we continue the reading here. Let me just pause and say this. He was beginning to have contrition. But he was still not quite there. He was broken a little. He wasn't quite there. What had happened that had made him broken? Well, he was out of cash. No more money. Now, you say, Pastor, is God going to punish my wayward loved one? Yes, He is. You see there where it says in verse number 14, there arose a mighty famine in that land. Who sends the famines? God does. So this young man ran out of money, and isn't it, isn't it quite a coincidence that right as he was running out of money, the famine came? I don't think it's coincidence. I think God was waiting for him to run out of money. Then when he ran out of money, there comes the famine. And so, man, this guy's out of money. Guess what happens when you run out of money? You run out of friends. That's what happens when you run out of money. Your house gets foreclosed on. Guess what happens when you run out of money? No one cares about you anymore. All these people that want to party with you and have a good time, wait till you fall in hard times. They want to have nothing to do with you anymore. Most oftentimes that's the case. When he ran out of money, God sent the famine and God was giving a big swift kick in the pants to this young man. What did he do? Did he run home? Did he come home? He said, oh, I'm out of money. Oh, I don't have anything to eat. I'm going to go home to my father. No, it says he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He wasn't broken yet. 
piece of advice I'd give to those of you here that have children that are wandering. You can't just run to their side the second they begin to weep and cry. Well, you've got to wait until they really, truly are contrite. They really, truly are ready to leave behind the sin and cling to righteousness. Look at verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent uh, him into his fields to feed swine. Look how bad it got for this young man. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave in him. I'll tell you what that verse tells me. Verse 16. He gets a job feeding the swine. Feeding the pigs. And he's sitting there and he's so hungry that he must have actually gotten down into the pig pen and began to pick food out that had been thrown in there for him for himself to eat. And the owner of the swine came out and said, Hey! Get out of there! That's for the swine. You can't eat that. It says he wanted to eat it, but he couldn't. He was told no at eating pig's food. How bad did it have to get for this young man? He wandered into sin. He rebelled and bucked from mom and dad's rules. He, he, he ran out and had his good time. And after he was done having his good time, he fell. But he hadn't quite fallen enough. He had to fall some more. He's sitting there. He's starving to death. He's starving to death. Not only is he starving to death, but he's lonely. You know, I think one of the greatest points of this passage is that when he had money, he had friends. But when he ran out of money, he was alone. You know, before God can really fix the heart of the wayward one, that wayward one has to be isolated and alone so God can really work on their heart. The wayward's destruction. Number six, we see the wayward's debasement. The wayward's debasement. If you have a pen and you mark in your Bible, if you have a highlighter and you highlight in your Bible, I'm going to show you in verse 18 the pivot point of the story. Boy, this is the goal. Look there with me, the first six words. And when he came... To himself. And when he came to himself, what did it have to take before this boy would come to himself? It had to take dad getting out of the way, mom getting out of the way and saying, go live your life. Go do your thing. How many remember the day you came to yourself? Can you raise your hand? You were wandering in sin, doing your thing, and you hit the bottom. And you said, I'm done with this. You know that you can't do that for anyone but you. Notice it doesn't say, and when mom came to him. It doesn't say when dad came to him. It says, and when he came to himself. In order for him to come to himself, first he had to see the destruction of sin. Look back at verse 18. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I love verse 18 where he 
apologizes and says, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against heaven. It wasn't enough to say, I let you down, Dad. It wasn't enough to say that, yeah, I made some bad choices, Dad. He said, I have, I have let down heaven. I have sinned against a holy and almighty God. My infraction is not just with you, Dad. First, my infraction is with God in heaven, and then it's against you. The wayward's debasement. He had to humble himself, totally humble himself, before he could be restored. Those of you here that are dealing with a wayward loved one, let me give you uh, some things this morning. You say, Pastor, they seem contrite, but I'm not sure if they really are. I wrote down some things here to help me know when I'm dealing with someone who's wayward and to know whether or not they're contrite. And I'd encourage you to jot these down here. The first thing I wrote down is, um, uh, here's, how, here, here's how I have it listed. Signs that a wayward one has not yet come to himself. Signs that a wayward one has not yet come to himself. The first one I wrote down is they are still playing the blame game. They're still playing the blame game. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's your fault, Dad. It's your fault, Mom. It's, it's, uh, it's the school I went to. It's the friends that I, I had. They, they got me to do wrong. You know, it's, it's uh, the environment I was raised in. It's, it's society at large. It's, it's I can't help it. And, and I was born with a predisposition to do this. It's point the finger, point the finger, point the finger. If you're dealing with someone who's wayward and they're still pointing the finger, I don't care if they've got a tear in their eye. They're not there. They're not there. Signs that a, a, a wayward one has not yet come to himself. The second one I wrote down, they won't disassociate with the wrong crowd. They won't disassociate with the wrong crowd. Listen, if they're not willing to take out their phone and delete and block contacts of people who are leading them down the wrong path, they're not truly done. They're not truly debased. They're not humble. They're not there. They're not ready. God's not done punishing them. God's not done spanking them. They're not ready to turn their back on it. I think it's someone who um, allows drugs to just ravish and ruin their life. And they lose their marriage. They lose their job. They lose fill in the blank. And they come and sit in my office and sob, Oh, Pastor, I, I, I can't. I, 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 I feel so bad about this. Well, are you still running with the wrong crowd? Are you, are you still hanging out? Look, who are you? Can I tell you who you are? You are who you hang out with. You are who you spend time with. How many of you have been married long enough to where you and your spouse are beginning to think and talk like each other? Anybody here been married long enough that way? Some of the younger couples haven't raised their hand. Either they're sleeping or it just hadn't happened for them yet. I told Angela, we've been married 10 years this past June. I told Angela the other day, she said something. And I said, you know, that's exactly how I think. That's exactly how I see it. I'm glad you finally came around. <laughs> you are who you hang around. And if that person, that wayward one, is not willing to disassociate with the wrong crowd, I'm sorry. They're not debased. They're not humble. The third thing I wrote down here, signs that a wayward one is yet to come to himself, or has not yet come to himself, they leave avenues to quickly get back to their sin. They leave avenues to quickly get back to their sin. The fourth one I wrote down here is they continue a life of lies and deceit. 
They continue a life of lies and deceit. You know, one thing I've learned from working with the addicts of White Oak Baptist Church, and we've got several people that come here and struggle with addictions, and I, and I, I give a lot, a lot of my time to try to help them out of those uh, uh, scenarios and spots. But the one thing I have really learned the last year, I grew up in a Christian home. You know, I was uh, sheltered and kept away from drugs and, and people who did drugs. Again, I saw some of it from a distance, but never really was in, in close uh, with it or, or dealing with people who struggled with it. One thing I've learned the last year, being a senior pastor, about those who struggle with drug addictions is that the, the two things that embody them or describe every one of them is that they lie and they manipulate. They lie and they manipulate. They will manipulate anybody to get what they want. They will lie and say whatever they got to say right through their teeth to get what they want. They keep lying and they keep being deceitful. They keep manipulating. They're not debased yet. They're not done with their sin. I wonder how many of you here today remember that moment in your life where you said, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord. You said... Um, there are some people I've got to quit texting and talking to. Some people I've got to unfriend on Facebook and quit following. You said, um, there's some avenues of sin I've got to break away from. There's some lies and deceit I've got, to, I've got to learn to let God renew my mind in those areas. Boy, that's how you come to yourself. That's how you come to yourself. We believe in God when it comes to salvation. Please don't miss what I'm about to say here. Especially if you have a loved one that's wayward. Please don't miss this. We believe in God when it comes to our salvation. We trust in God to save our soul. But do we really trust God with our loved one? That He has their best interest in mind? That He's going to protect them and punish them? Proof will be in the pudding. Proof will be in the actions. This dad released his son and said, Okay. Go live your life. Go let the school of hard knocks kick you in the mouth. Knock some teeth out. Bloody your nose and blacken your eye. And when you have humbled your heart, I'll be here to accept you. Number seven, we see the Father's devotion. The Father's devotion. Look down with me at verse number 20. We'll read down through verse 24. The Bible says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him says there, and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring, a ring on his uh, hand and shoes on his feet and uh, bring hither the fatted calf and, and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. His father's devotion. You know, the dad wasn't chasing after his son. You need to stop doing that. You need to stop acting that way. You need to stop hanging out with that girl. You need to stop smoking that. You need to quit putting that liquid in your mouth. No, no, no. The dad stayed home. The dad kept doing what was right. The dad kept living consistent. And when that boy came to himself, that boy said, I know exactly where my dad is. And I know exactly what my dad's doing. And I know exactly the financial status of my dad. And I know if I go back, I know he'll take me. You say, what do I do? I've got a wayward child. You just do what's right. And you serve the Lord. And you let them know when they're ready to come back with the right spirit, you'll take them back. Let me run through an A, B, C, and a D really quick here. Letter A, he hoped daily. He hoped daily. His dad, every day, he woke up and he never lost hope. 
He, he wondered if his son, that would be the day his son would come home. Letter B, he prayed daily. And the passage doesn't tell us that he prayed daily. But boy, I think you can look at his reaction when he saw his son, and you can gather that there had been a lot of prayers that had been prayed. You say, Pastor, what can I do? You're telling me to take my hands off my adult child. You're telling me to take my hands off a wayward person and just let God have Adam. There's, Pastor, there's got to be something I can do. You know what you can do? You can pray. You can pray. You say, but Pastor, is God going to hear my prayer? Oh, God's going to hear your prayer. You can pray. You can grab hold of heaven and you can say, I'm not letting go of heaven, God, until you adequately correct my my loved one and you bring them back to me. God, I'm going to pray and 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 I'm going to pray some more. I think of that boy who lived at home with his parents, a single child. He was an adult child and he uh, was living a party lifestyle and just running from God and running from his parents and just defiled in every way possible and running around doing all kinds of wrongdoings at nighttime. And he'd been to two or three parties and he came home to change his outfit to go out to another party. It was 2 a.m. and he came in, he slipped in his room, he, he changed his clothes, he reached up in his closet to get a new pair of shoes and when he put his shoes on, they were wet and he took them off and he thought that was strange. Put them up in his closet and he pulled down another a pair of shoes and put those on and, and they were soaking wet too and he got frustrated and he knew that the only people that could have done this were his parents or the only ones in the house so he stormed into his parents room being just as disrespectful as possible he was going in to confront his parents by waking them up and, and saying how could you let this happen to my shoes and as soon as he walked in the door he came to an abrupt stop and he saw a mother mother down at the base of the bed laying prostrate on her face another pair of his shoes down on the floor her eyes hovering over the shoes and her praying and crying her eyes out to God for her son. The mama looked up at the boy and said, I can't keep you from going partying, but I can pray for you. Every step tonight you take, every time you feel your socks be wet, I want you to know your mom is at home on her face begging God to get your heart. My friend, you can't reach into that adult child's heart and change them. You can't reach in that wayward heart and change it, but you can pray. You can pray. Let her see. We see here that this father, he forgave daily. He forgave daily. You say, Pastor, where does it say he forgave daily? You look at how this dad received the son. There was no guile in this father's heart. None. There was no hesitation. There was just a straight embrace. Look at the great excess in the celebration. He hugged and kissed him. He put a royal robe on his back. He put a ring on his finger. He gave him a new pair of shoes. He killed the fatted calf and threw a celebratory feast. Now remember earlier in the sermon we were talking about the two common ways that people handle someone who rebels and goes wayward. They either shun and reject or they enable. Those are generally the two ways. To those of you that want to expel, you want to shun and you, you want to shun and, and, dis, and just it just let go. Let me tell you this: there's nothing wrong with saying to a child, "You cannot live in my house if you don't want to live under my rules." But you know what you need to do daily is you need to ask God to give you a heart of forgiveness toward that child, toward that loved one. 
You know what I have seen? Thinking of two or three names going, two or three faces going through my head right now. People who, um, the parents just disowned. Get out of here. You're going to live that way? Don't talk to me. Don't even call me. Get, get lost. Sure enough, just like the prodigal, they had their time of pleasure and fun and then they had their time of destruction. These two or three people I'm thinking about, they came crawling back. They said, I'm sorry. Those parents in their own way said to that child, you have caused so much pain and hurt in our lives, we don't want to have anything to do with you ever again. Get out of here. And in every instance, those people just crawled back into the sin hole they crawled out of. I would imagine they felt as though, if mom and dad don't accept me, God doesn't accept me either. So why am I here? You may feel betrayed, you may feel hurt over the way that that loved one has acted. But you've got to forgive them. When they come back and they confess their sin to their Father in heaven and to you, boy, make a big deal out of it. Letter D, lastly and quickly, we saw, you see, he watched daily. He watched daily. Look down back with me at Luke chapter 15, verse 20. It says, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. I love this. And ran, and ran, and fell on his neck and kissed him. I imagine every day this dad, as he's going about his affairs, his business, maybe he'd get home from work, he'd step, step, sit, sit there on the porch in his little rocking chair and he'd look out down the way. He'd see some stranger coming down the dirt path. He'd be about the same height of his son, and he'd he'd be about the same width as, width of his son, and he'd look and he'd 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 look at that face. He'd look at the way the young man walked, and think, "No, my son doesn't walk that way. That's not him. No, no, my son doesn't look like that. That's not him." He'd get up as the sun was going down, and get go inside. And he'd pray to the Lord and say, "Maybe tomorrow is the day, God. Maybe tomorrow He returns." And after years and years of that boy being gone, the day came where his son came walking home. And he leaped up off the chair and he went running down the road and he threw his arm around his neck and he kissed him and he hugged him and he said, Welcome home. Welcome home. And I'm here today to tell you, let him go. Turn him over to God. And watch and wait. Watch and wait for them to return. If I could take two things out of the sermon today and just... Put them in a very concise manner for you to leave with today. It's this. One, mom, dad, get out of God's way and let him do his job. Loved one, don't try to play God in their life. God is much better at his job than you are. The second thing I would like to try to drive home in conclusion is this. When they come back, love them. Love them. Embrace them. If you're here today and you're wayward, can I encourage you to come back to the Lord? Don't live a life of sin and pain. Run to God. Let Him restore you and make you new again. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.